awesome worship. We're going to miss that when we move on. Um, someone said, actually it was taught in Bible college, when you get ready to leave a church, be prepared for some to be sad, some to be mad, and some to be glad. So I don't know what category you fit in, but uh, we want to thank you in all those categories. We want to thank you for letting us serve you, and uh, we are excited about next steps for you here. Can't wait till Dave gets on the scene. The uh, week from tomorrow, we'll take up residence in the office. I helped him already move some books in there, and the books are starting to fill up those shelves, and your long-term servant leader is about to arrive, and I can't wait. I'm excited for you. Um, two weeks from today, he'll be preaching for the first time, and I get to literally, I've got a, a literal baton like they use in track and field, and I can't wait to pass that on. I'm so glad to dump Grand Rapids and get out of here. <laughs> but yeah, but... Uh, not the people. We are looking forward to what God's going to be doing in uh, Wisconsin and appreciate your prayer support there. Well, that leads me to the series called Wrapping It Up. And uh, these are really three kind of standalone messages that uh, IPM encourages me to use in the closing uh, weeks of ministry here among you, but more than that, they're not just IPM messages. They are passions that God has given me in my heart, and I believe the Spirit of God will burn them into yours if you have ears to hear what God wants to say to you today. Are you hungry? Well, I mean for the Word of God. You're hungry, right? I can't wait to be fed from a great text. Let me set it up for you. Last Lord's Day, I talked to you about what Paul wrote to Timothy when he basically said to him, see to it that those who labor in the word are protected. And that means that as members of a church and members of the body of Christ, he's given us shepherds, that feed us from the Word of God. And we are not, core principle from that study, we are not to receive an accusation against those who labor in the Word unless it is from two or three witnesses. I didn't have time to teach you, and I don't have time this morning, but that's a reach back to the Old Testament. It, uh, became a legal kind of thing in the Old Testament that basically said a man could not divorce his wife unless the thing he was accusing her of was witnessed by two or three other people. And that's how serious God took divorce and marriage in the Old Testament. A man could not do what Israel had become accustomed to doing just walk out his front door one morning and because his wife didn't please him the last few days, he could just wave his hand three times and say, I divorce thee, I divorce thee, I divorce thee and throw his wife and any kids that she bore to him out on the street and she would be an outcast in society. And 
Moses made it clear God's will is you can't do that, which is not condoning divorce, by the way. But God's will was very simple. You can't just be displeased and divorce. There must be two or three witnesses. See how important it is? And so when it comes to the New Testament, he reaches back to that concept and says, never receive an accusation which almost always is against the conduct or the character or the competence or the chemistry or harmony that God has led him to produce in the body. Do not receive an accusation of any of those things against your next servant leader. And that's neat to be able to say since I'm on my way out of here. You can say what you want about me for the next two weeks, but don't mess with your next pastor. Amen, Larry. Right? That doesn't mean he's free to be unaccountable. That simply means it must be a serious matter viewed by a number of people firsthand. And then it's okay to receive an accusation and then love the brother enough to bring him back. Yo! Yo. Now having said that, we move to a study today that I'm calling Meat or Milk. It's from the book, though most of you probably know, of 1 Corinthians. And while you find your copy of 1 Corinthians in your Bible there, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, I'll read it to you in a few minutes. I want to lay this groundwork for you. The Apostle Paul understands his role in the church at Corinth. As he writes this letter, he is a loving shepherd who is willing to speak the truth in love to the flock that though he was instrumental in establishing and starting the flock that he knows to whom it belongs it is the flock of God in Corinth in fact the first chapter in the second verse says the church of God in Corinth it is God's church and Paul knew it but he also knew that the good, the great, and the chief shepherd that had died for them, that lives for them, and is coming back for them, he also knew that that chief shepherd has ascended and is at the right hand of the Father and is not literally himself present with the church, though he is present in the person of the Holy Spirit, of course. But he's absent. And in his absence, he gave gifts to the church which includes pastors. And that word literally means, you've been taught before, I'm sure, literally means shepherds. And so Paul, one of the shepherds of this great flock in Corinth, writes to them as one who loves them so deeply that he's willing to speak hard things into their lives. Isn't that the kind of shepherd you want? Well, boy, I'll encourage Dave with that. Isn't that the kind of shepherd you want? Yeah. Willing to speak hard truth into your life. And so Paul comes to them and he understands their spiritual condition. And he says to them, in essence, some of you see yourselves as mature. 
What do mature people eat? Solid food, meat. Mature people don't eat cottage cheese. <laughs> Horrible stuff. Not only melts in your mouth, it spews out. <laughs> only babies eat milk products. Are you with me? Mature people eat meat. Immature people drink milk. That is babies. That's what they need. Now, here's the deal. Paul knew something was going on in the church. He knew, my beloved, that they saw themselves as spiritual. After all, glossolalia is a thing that has big time proven their spirituality. And if you know what that word means, it means simply tongues, the ability to speak in tongues. And so, because we can speak in tongues, we are spiritual, we are mature. The Apostle Paul goes on to show them in this great book in the next letter that, no, 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 the gift of glossolalia, tongues, is not a proof of spirituality. It is a weak gift. The proof of spirituality is love. There is no superior gift to love. Pretty cool. They saw themselves spiritual in spite of the fact they weren't loving one another. They were even messing up the Lord's table. Remember that? They came and spread all they had, the wealthy ones, out to eat and became drunk in front of others who had nothing to eat. There's love for you. Keep your cottage cheese, but share everything else with me when you bring it to the meal. That's the point. They didn't love. They weren't mature. They thought they were so mature because of who their spiritual leaders were. I'm of Paul. Well, I'm of Apollos. Well, I'm of Cephas, or I'm of Christ. Your maturity is not based on who your spiritual father is. It's based on who you are. And that's what Paul's telling them as a loving shepherd. There were so many other things. They thought they were mature, and all the while they were allowing moral failure in the church. And nobody spoke up against it. It was so vile that a man was willing or allowed to live with his father's wife which means his stepmother. He didn't even marry her. He lived with her. His father's wife. And nobody in the church said a word. Hmm. The only thing I can think of that's worse in all the Bible than that morally is Sodom. And they were headed in that direction if the shepherd hadn't interrupted it. I believe that. There's so much more. They were so unloving with each other, not mature, so immature, that they would sue each other in the, in the courts of the land. And it's like, been there, done that. We've been a part of a church that sued itself. Some of you know that story. It's like, how immature can people get? Here's the thing. They thought they were so mature, mature in Christ. My beloved, all 
the while, Paul, their shepherd knew them as a shepherd knows every one of his sheep. And he looked at them and said, no, no, no. I wanted to feed you solid food. You who think you're spiritual, but I couldn't. I could only give you the milk of the Word of God. Boy, wouldn't you love to have been a part of that church? Well, does Larry think that's what we are? Let me answer the question, no. I'm so glad to be able to pass the baton to the next pastor that says here, take the leadership with the other pastors of a church that is becoming more and more and more what God wants it to be. Perfect. That's what you are, right? Oh, okay. Well, then let's read the text from this loving shepherd. And though it may seem hard and harsh initially, accept it as from a loving shepherd, Paul, to the church at Corinth. Follow along, please. These things we also speak, and I have to pause there long enough to answer the question, what things, because it's core to the whole study today, what things do we speak? Paul is speaking in the term we. He's speaking in the third person describing himself. And he has just said the Spirit of God has unveiled some things, some truth to the apostles that they've written down and they've taught me and I've passed them on. And I have also received some things from God. This man who met God on the road to Damascus, this man who later would even see God and be instructed by him face to face, I believe. And I think I could prove that. These things that I've received from God with the other apostles, not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God. For they are foolishness to him. Nor can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. But he who is spiritual judges all things, yet he himself is rightly judged by no one. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. And I, brethren, could not speak to you as spiritual people, but as to carnal, as to babes in Christ. I fed you with milk and not with solid food, for until now you were not able to receive it. And even now you were still not able, for you are still children. Would you join me in talking to God for a moment? Father... Thank you for a loving shepherd named Paul who long ago spoke the truth in love to the congregation at Corinth. We want to know what it is that you want to say to us from this text today, so our prayer is simple. Give us ears to hear what the Spirit would say to us today. Granted for Jesus' sake, in his name we pray. Amen. 
Now, church, look this way. I want to free you up today. Do you like the word freedom? Hello. Christ came to set us free. I want to free you up to do something that most people have been taught you cannot do. Or who are you to judge another? That better be Jesus. <laughs> or if it's for Elaine, she'll take it later. says about you and about me, I want to suggest to you, my beloved, we are not born these wonderful, marvelous people. 
We are simply given by the grace of God breath to live naturally. And that's as far as it goes until we have a miraculous intersection in our lives with God himself. Do you remember that day you had that intersection with him? That day he by his spirit gave you life and you who were once in enmity with God became a friend of God's. Now watch what the scripture says about you when you are born from above. It goes on to say, you're a natural man who does not receive the things that Paul had just talked about. You and I do not understand, nor can we understand when we're born into this world, the truths and principles and concepts of the word of God. Now look at me, and don't, don't lose me here. Church, it doesn't mean that a person who is just born naturally and is not born yet from above, in other words, what we call a lost person or an unbeliever, it doesn't mean that they do not comprehend the words that are written in the scriptures. They are not intellectually incapable. They can read what's there in black and white. But here's the deal. They cannot comprehend the concepts and principles that those words relate from above. Because they don't have the spirit who makes their minds alive to comprehend those concepts. Still with me? Let me help you understand it a bit better. One of our dear brothers who's a deacon in our church is also a political representative here, Tom Hooker, and most of you are aware of that. I noted on Facebook something that was posted that he's called Chump of the Week. I was hoping he could be here today, so I don't think he's made it, but I was hoping he could be here today so I could say, I could think of a lot of things to call Tom, but Chump of the Week is not one of them. Here's the deal. Why is he called Chump of the Week? Because he dares as a politician to suggest that they create a law in Michigan that says, from the time the heart beats in the womb, you may not abort the baby. That's not a concept Tom came up with. And he would be the first to say amen to that. That's a concept God came up with. From the Old Testament day, if a man killed a mother who was pregnant with child and the baby died, God viewed that as two either intentional or unintentional murders. You killed two. The unborn life and the born life. Try to suggest to a culture that has evolved into where we are today in this country Try to suggest to a culture the concept that a mother does not have right to take the life of her baby. And they rephrase it to fit their natural concept, which says basically a mother has right over her own body and life, and no law can tell her what to do. There is a law that is above man's law concept and principle and law that God has laid down. Try to explain that to this culture and see where many, if not most, stand today. See if they can understand that. 
I could take any number of others. The homosexuality there. Man with man, woman with woman. We walked downtown in the city where we're going to serve. Uh, we had a few hours and needed the exercise, and we just went downtown and walked. And we saw man on man and woman on woman holding hands, walking through the park. My beloved, our country, even the conservative among us, Many, if not most, are now at the point where they're saying it's okay for them to raise a family. It's okay for them to enter into holy matrimony that God laid down laws for. And nobody wants to talk about that today, right? We don't want to be labeled homophobic. Well, I'd like to say something. To any who may be in a crowd this size, I'm sure there probably are some. I'm not afraid of you. It's not a homophobic issue for me at all. I love you, and so did Christ when he paid his price for you and me equally on Calvary's cross. There's no question about love for you. But I cannot suggest to you in any way, shape, or form that the concepts that are in Scripture approves of your life's choices. And it's okay. It's okay to say that and to not expect them to grab hold of that. And here's the problem I had with some churches and church settings. They are willing to blast the sin. And that breaks my heart because the far from God and natural men come away from that without hope at all. What's to be our response to those who do not comprehend the concepts of God? They cannot comprehend them. We are not to blast them for their life's choices. That's not what we've been called to do. We're to tell them the story of Jesus and his love. We're to talk to them about how Christ has transformed us and wants to transform them. We're to tell them the gospel, the good news that brings them into relationship with the Father. Then they'll understand the concepts and churches get the cart before the horse. The natural man many of whom, some of whom, are even within the church, do not even know the Lord. And we try to talk to them about things that perplex their minds instead of speaking the milk of the word, the gospel truth to them. So Paul says there are the natural. Learn how to respond to them. They're not going to grasp the concepts of the book. Tell them the story that makes their life and mind and heart come alive. The story of Christ. Then Paul goes on to add, there's a spiritual man, another category of people within the church and he describes him this way but he who is spiritual judges all things. 
He who is natural understands no concepts of the Word of God. He who is spiritual understands them all. Does that mean he has a perfect mind to understand everything that's in the Bible and doesn't need to be taught? No. Doesn't even mean he's growing in perfection. Though it in part means that. Stay with me here. Noah was called in the Old Testament a man perfect in his generations. I'm quoting from Genesis. Anybody here perfect in your generations? Elaine, put your hand up. Oh, I said I wouldn't do that, didn't I? Larry, put yours down. Has no business being up. None of us are perfect in this generation. What's the word perfect there mean? It's the word, the Hebrew word tamen, from which we get the word, the English word contaminated. And so, beloved, it's really saying to us, Noah was uncontaminated by his generation. It's not that he's not without sin, or that he is without sin. It rather is that their concepts were not his. Sure he sinned, sure he failed, but that's not the pattern of his life. The pattern, the projection, the trajectory of his life is toward understanding and laying hold of the concepts of the Word of God and allowing them to change and transform his choices, his thinking, and his behavior. And that's what a spiritual person does. He just sort of says, never saw that before. But here's what I think God wants me to do with what I just saw. And how God wants me to, horrible word in a Baptist church, change. How does he want me to become more like the son by the new truth? He's just laid in my hands and at my feet and in my mind and heart. That's what the spiritual does. Now let me ask you a question. How are we to respond to the natural man when he speaks into our lives? We're to respond to him not by debating his concepts and laying them next to the Bible. We rather are to respond to him with the gospel. Please tell me you just heard that. Then how are we to respond to the spiritual there are some people who want to come to church and only hear the gospel. I did that the first 18 years of my life. The pastor presented the gospel Sunday morning, Sunday night, Sunday school, and Wednesday night church. And I heard the gospel over and over and over, and I always rejoice and even love to tell the story where those who know it best seem hungry and thirsty to hear it like the rest. I get it. Amen? That's okay. But is that milk the only thing that the body needs? Come on, hold on, Baptist. Is it? No. We need some meat. And when it's given, how am I to respond to that spiritual person who connects to me? God has taught him something that will help my life. What am I supposed to do? I think it's very simple. I need to effectually listen. 
Hello? I need to listen to the spiritual. For God has taught them, and through them they are teaching me. i got to tell you this. Most of the time, over 45 years of ministry, most of what people have to say is not, I've heard from God in his book, and I can't wait to tell you, Pastor, what he shared with me. Most of it has nothing to do with that. You know what most of it has to do with? Things like, you didn't wear a tie this morning, Larry. Would you grin, please? That's the kind of stuff we focus on. I'd love you enough to tell you I purposefully did not wear a tie today. So that if your head went there, it should tell you something. That has so little to do with what God is speaking into your life to pass on to me and others around you. Yo? Well, that'll give you something to talk about a bunch. What do I do? Effectually listen to what God's saying to them and through them. And then there's a third category, the carnal man. And I've got to show you this. Paul said, I fed you with milk and not with solid food for until now. You were not able to receive it. And even now, you're still not able, for you are still carnal. Paul loved them so much to say, to speak the truth in love and say, I sure have some things God taught me and want to pass on to you, but I can't. Because you, Paul said to that church, are still babies, immature, carnal. The word for carnal here is the word for animal or flesh. And it goes back to breathing naturally instead of pneumatikos, which is what the word spiritual means, breathing or breath from God. And now those who have gotten the breath of God, who've been born again, those people who've been born again spiritually from above, to whom God has spoken and quickened their minds, some of them still act as if they had not received the breath of God. They still act fleshly, carnally, naturally. They still act sarkikos, as if they were only born once and not twice. Now, if you're with me, Paul says that's you. The word you there is a real critical word in the original. You means you, right? But no, in this text, it doesn't just mean you. Some of you within the church. Paul is saying, I think I mentioned this to you a week ago, in Hebrew, y'all. Oh, no, wait a minute. That's not Hebrew. That's Texan. <laughs> y'all. Note what he did not say. It's not in the form of the word the Texans would say. All y'all. Everybody. All y'all. But it's just saying to them, church, you, y'all, 
are still carnal. That's pretty interesting. Because Paul knew within the church there were many who were spiritual, who were receiving truths and growing. But he ascribed the weakness of some to the whole. All y'all are doing this, but some of you are, and I address all of you for this reason. Now listen carefully. I want to encourage you to check your theology again. Does the action and thinking and voice of a few impact the whole? That's a rhetorical question to which I'd like an answer. Does the thinking of a few affect the whole? Oh, sure it does. Adam and Eve sinned, and because one man sinned, death has passed upon us all. Y'all. And here's a powerful challenge. That tells me that what I said at the beginning is accurate. Since what you do affects me and what I do affects you. And God looks at us as one body, as y'all. Therefore, you have the freedom to speak into my life and I have the freedom to speak into your life. When I see a spiritual comment or conduct, a carnal uh, mindset or conduct or natural mindset or conduct. When I see that in you and you see that in me and you see it in each other, you have the freedom to speak into that life. Now to the natural, when you hear a man speaking just absolutely outside the concept of Scripture, what do you do? How do you respond? You respond with the gospel. To the spiritual, how do you respond? You respond with effectually listening, letting what God's taught them change you. And to the carnal, how do you respond? You ignore it, bury your head in the sand, and do what the people at Corinth did. You let the man who's doing what he did in the church keep on doing it. I think I told you a few times about the lady in the choir who was asked by the choir director to change seats with the soloist so that when it's time for the solo, she can more easily slip out and go into a microphone and do her solo. And the lady said, I'm not moving. I sat here for 14 years, that's my seat, and I'm not moving. Broke my heart when I heard that. Afterwards, I went to her and I said, I'd like you to know that offended me. And I don't believe, more importantly, 
I don't believe Jesus was real happy with that. Do you? She said, I never thought about that. <laughs> really? And then she asked forgiveness. What she did didn't bother me nearly as much as what the other 30 choir members didn't do. You know how many out of the choir, including me, went to her? One. One. And I started going to them one-on-one -on -one and saying, why didn't you say something to her? And you'll never meet her so I can use her name. They just said, ah, oh, that's Edith. She's always been that way. And my heart still today grieves that for 30 years she was that way and nobody loved her enough to say. We don't do things like that in God's family. We humbly serve and love each other. Get it? Let's do the solo I think we just did. Okay, all together. I'm going to have to uh, train the church in Wisconsin to do this. You guys got it down so bad. Would you, in light of your next pastor coming in two weeks, would you recognize that pastors have to minister to natural, spiritual, and carnal people all at the same time? Let me just make it clear. So give him space to minister as God leads him. Make sense? You may be in a different category than he's in or than others are in. And God will be his guide. Just pray for him. And let him feed the flock. Whether he presents the gospel or feeds the to the natural, or feeds the spiritual, or challenges the carnal. Never, 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 spiritual people will never, never, never walk away and say, well, that wasn't for me. Oh, my dad helped me over those years, those 18 years when all I heard was the gospel. He said, Larry, any time Jesus' name is mentioned, there is some food for your soul. So there's never a time when anybody legitimately can say when the Bible is opened, that wasn't for me. That's not the spiritual statement, is it? Make a judgment here, is it, church? No. Secondly, do not assume that everything you are being told is spiritual. There are days I go home to the holy bride that God has given me. And I say to her, you wouldn't believe and fill in the blank. And her response to me often, some of you will know what this means, is, Larry, is that verse 22 or verse 24? Is that a mindset that God wants you to put off because it comes from the natural old self? 
Lord, it's that which you just shared with me. A part of what God is teaching you and is holy and good and spiritual. And that very question, is it verse 22 or is it verse 24? Let's me know my bride loves me enough to lay what I say next to the concepts of Scripture and help me continually grow. That's why I'm the spiritual giant I am. The older I get, the more I know how unspiritual I am and the more grateful I am for a bride who comes alongside me and is not afraid does not just assume that what he says is from God. The last thing I want to ask you to do, I'm going to ask you to make a public commitment to this today. Own the responsibility for carnality in your church family. If God says y'all, when everybody's not in that state, but y'all being affected by it know it's there. You all must own it. Didn't Nehemiah? He got reports that the walls had fallen down in Jerusalem and the city was in waste because of the sin of Israel. Not Nehemiah's sin. Not his carnality. Not his walking away from God. And Nehemiah said, we have. We have sinned. And because we have, God has done this to us. Do you get it? When you look on your recent and your long-term history, I had a dear lady come up this morning and say, I want to join the church. And I was so thrilled. Pastor, her on to those who can help her do that. When you join a church, you're joining all that it is, good and bad. When you join Heritage Baptist, you're joining a perfect church. Oh, no. You're marrying a body with warts, with imperfections. As you come in newly to them and to this body, or you've been here a long, long time, is it not time to free yourselves to own what's happening in the body as it's happening? Hello? Think about it. I think that's what love does. Jesus owned what he did not do and gave to me what I do not deserve. That's how much he loved me. I want to ask you to make a commitment today. We're going to sing a song and those who would like to own that responsibility in a public way and ask for prayer support, but more than that, who yourselves are saying, I want you, my church family, to feel free to come alongside me and love me enough to speak hard truth into my life. 
I want you to own me as I want to be free to own you. And I come to commit myself to that kind of spiritual maturity and be that kind of a spiritual person in this body. As we stand together to sing, would you come and pray for a pastor who will lead you in owning that responsibility in the months and years to come? Would you come as together we'll be saved?